0: Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband Rick travel throughout the land in their teardrop trailer that they have nicknamed Maggie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past three years, they have been filming a documentary about Heritage Breed animals entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breed Animals, and the Need for Biodiversity. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews.
1: Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. I'd like to tell you about our interview with Matt and Matthew Devader, or Big Matt and Little Matt, as I mentally think of them. They raise a little bit of almost everything on a farm in the northeast corner of Kansas. We were in Kansas in October to attend the Mother Earth News Fair And it was just a teeny little bit chilly Uh, Even though we've been to all sorts of places over the last three years This is one of the few places we hit snow As we drove in on the morning after what seemed like a light blizzard to a California girl But was probably just a heavy dusting of snow Or maybe a light dusting of snow Big Matt met us in the driveway with what seems like representatives from pretty much every kingdom, phylum, class, order, and family: cats, dogs, chickens, ducks, and the like. Matt was holding a plate of fresh bacon, so I knew we were in the right place. The devaders were fantastic, and little Matt, or Matthew, was a very bright and inquisitive boy. It's obvious there's a lot of love there. And little Matthew's learning farm skills and independence and manners and self-sufficiency from his dad in, in high volume. It was just a really neat relationship to see. We took a farm tour while we talked with him. We met various turkeys and chickens and ducks and the Katahdin sheep and the Hereford pigs. And I even now thinking back on it, I'm singing Old MacDonald Had a Farm in my head. After our interview, we had a bite to eat at a local restaurant and we spoke with Big Matt about the joys of social media and about 50 other topics. He's a really interesting guy and he's very active in promoting the Katahdin sheep and the benefits of the breed. This trip ended with a wonderfully typical example of the generosity of spirit of the people we've met. Matt sent us down the road with big jars of homemade pickles and pickled cauliflower, pickled peppers, and the like from his wonderful garden. And I have to say that the jar of pickles lasted until about the border of Kansas and Colorado as we headed west on the I 70. Absolutely delicious. So, with no further ado, here's our interview with Matt and Matthew DeVader and representatives of everything that's ever been issued a taxonomic classification. Okay, so uh, tell me your name, if you would, please, and introduce your farm.
2: You bet. I'm Matt DeVader with Rocky Top Ranch, and we're here in Northeast Kansas.
1: Who's this?
2: And this is my boy, Matthew II. We, I go by Matt, and he goes by Matthew. That way we know who you're talking to.
1: Okay, so now uh, this has been an interesting thing for us because we have not had snow the whole three right? years, and all of a sudden we're in Kansas on one of our very last shoots, and there's snow. Is yeah. this the normal uh, weather that you have here?
2: It certainly can be. Uh, this is our first snow of the year, but you know what they say about Kansas weather, if you don't like it, just wait. It'll change pretty soon. So, you know, we might have air conditioner weather next week for a little bit. It just, you never know. You never know. But October. We, well, we get snows in October, Dude, certainly. Yeah, last normal. Halloween uh, when they were doing the children's parade up in town, we had snow, so it's not uncommon.
1: Okay. So what is it like in the winter and in the summer in terms of average temperatures and moisture and all the rest sure. of
2: that kind of thing? Um, so you know, in terms of uh, temperatures, the the winters generally don't get too far below zero on a consistent basis. I mean, you know, we have below freezing temperatures pretty routinely. But uh, here where we live, it kind of fluctuates up and down, you know. So we may have some days, uh, like this snow will melt later today. It's going to be in the 40s. Um, But December and January, we might have days where we've got snow on the ground for a week or two at a time. And then it all melts, and it'll warm up to the 50s even. And then it'll drop back down. Just, we get kind of affected by where the jet stream pops down on us, you know, what it brings with it. Um, And then summertime, oh, we'll see temperatures above maybe you know a hundred occasionally but not you know nothing like you get out there in the desert in California where you get that 125 that you know we just don't really get that maybe I don't know I've seen 110 or so here but I think it's about as hot as we get we get a lot of his humidity Interesting. it gets very very humid um so that that has a big effect on things your uh output and capability of work during a day because the humidity just drags you down because it'll be 90 or 100% humidity and you in the summertime, I, I just hate it because my clothes get soaked. I'll be in a t shirt and jeans, or I even, I'm that farmer that'll be in my boots and a pair of shorts on the <laughs> tractor because it's just, everything sticks to you. But yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So one of the things that we learned, as long as we we're on the weather, mm-hmm. uh, was at, at the fair yesterday, we had somebody talking about the trees that are going down periodically, and I realized we okay. are in Dust Bowl area historically. Is that that's correct?
2: Yes, yes, yeah. There's, uh, in fact, here, Not so much on my farm, but my parents' farm on over the hill. Uh, You can, when you're digging in the ground, you can literally tell where they would have farmed back in the 30s, and the topsoil went away. And so we've got a lot of this, what, you know, forgive me, the term they use here is tiger crap clay. And it's this kind of orangey-yellow clay that got exposed when the topsoil blew away. Now, you go, like I said, at my dad's house a few feet over, and there's two feet of topsoil. Because that wasn't farmed. That would have had something on top of it. And so I'm on one of these hills that would have been farmed, you know, edge to edge. And, yeah, it's really heavy clay up here, not a lot of topsoil. The original homestead was set set right over here on the other side of your vehicle, though.
1: Yeah. Does that Do you keep that in mind when you farm? Is that always in the back of your head in this region that, you know, we could go back to that again if we're not careful with how much, you know, how we steward the land?
2: Sure, sure. And then, you know, there's... Uh, century type conditions that can come back around and and absolutely that goes into my mind of being prepared for that i mean that's being prepared for most eventualities is a way of life on a small farm like this in my opinion
1: yeah now i notice your son is really involved with the animals and uh-huh. and seems to kind of know his way around you're introducing a lot of this do you think that's important for him to absolutely
2: to learn? absolutely i mean the if we aren't teaching these guys to be stewards of the earth and to be, you know, a, and love and appreciate farming, then they're not going to be into it. And when I was 18, if you would have said to me, you know, when you're in your 40s, you're going to come back and be a farmer. I would have just
3: laughed and
2: laughed because I didn't have appreciation for yeah. it. Yeah. I want him to have an appreciation for it. And, and hopefully, maybe he'll choose to continue this on, yeah. you know, because... Yeah. He sees the benefits.
1: But you, have, you probably have a good value. When you have to go collect the chicken eggs, you kind of know what it takes to make a chicken egg, and when you have to go feed them every day and water the chickens every day, you're saying, look, that is valuable. I'm going to be taking good care of it because it took me a lot of work and the chicken a lot of work. Actually, myself, I've caught a chicken egg falling out of its butt. <laughs> I've had one laid in my lap, but it's a great thing, isn't it? If you look at that, it's like a little miracle sitting in front of you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. It's very cute when they hatch in the chicks. Yeah, okay, so you've seen that, too? Yeah. Fantastic. That's, you know, that's something that many people in my area don't get to see. They don't have any idea where the food comes. Food comes from the store. And yet, you live in Kansas, which I had no idea. I knew Kansas was an agriculture state, but that's huge here. This is life here.
2: I think um, if anyone, any of your viewers were to go on and look at the USDA statistical reports, they would be absolutely amazed. Because a lot of people tend to think of California as the big ag state. When The grim reality is when you look at the numbers, the entire Midwest feeds the entire planet. Um, You know, we are the two-thirds of the majority of the food source for protein comes out of the entire Midwest. And then you look at the the tonnage, you know, and bushels of corn and soybeans and so on. Um, There's just so much food for the entire planet grown right here. Now, I don't grow stuff that's getting shipped all over the, the world, but I do grow things that end up across the country.
1: Yeah. Okay, so speaking of protein, I would love, us if you, it, love it if you would take us on the little tour of yeah, sure. what kinds of animals you have.
2: That you would bet. be great. You bet. Let's go on up this way.
1: Okay, so now look at look at we've got uh, we've got the 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 rooster. Uh huh. Is this one or two? I'm well, one, two.
2: There's several roosters in there, and this time of year, I just bunch everybody together, you know, for economy's sake of you know keeping them together and so on. Yeah. But um, I specifically pick out certain roosters, like these gray ones here are Americana's, and you'll see the the beard on the bottom, which yep. is telltale. And I chose these particular guys because they grew faster. And they seem to be, you know, doing well as far as foraging and ranging and so on.
1: I have blue wheat and Americanas at home, and they are excellent foragers.
2: And that's interesting that you said blue. So the blue, which, you know, meaning the gray feathers like that, is super popular. And hence, you'll see a lot of the gray birds I keep because, again, my little um, homestead and and ranchette type of uh, buyers who buy pullets from me, they one thing they like is pretty feathers the other thing they like is pretty eggs yep. and so when, when I start separating them out in the spring to collect eggs that's what we breed for and then I might as well talk about this because everyone always asks what's what's wrong with that chicken with no feathers on its neck why did it get picked on and the that's a
1: turkin or a naked neck
2: well same thing I mean one in the same um and it's as I've studied it it's a very common breed worldwide um but yeah, we we raised some of those. They they make really big eggs. Uh, really? Yeah, man, they're they're great egg layers. And no, they don't seem to get super cold over the winter. As You can see, she's she's out here. It's about 35, 40 degrees right now and she's just fine. And even when it gets really really <laughs> cold, they just tuck their head underneath their wing and when they sleep and Large they seem to be comb fine and
1: naked neck and still does okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, there's there's probably a rooster too in here that, that that used to have a large comb that maybe got frost bit, but I try not to breed for those great big tall combs because they, yeah, they don't work. And you will some of the chickens are a little, little rough right now because they're just coming out of molt. Why not?
1: That would do. Yes. <laughs> Look like they went through a blender or a wind tunnel or
2: something. Yes. These little, uh, I don't know if you want to know some of the varieties, but like there's, there's some California whites in there, the white ones with the gray every now and again, and um, some of these. Like, this, I believe, is a golden comet. We just, on the chickens, I breed some of my own, but I also do a thing where I get um, hatchery overruns. Yep. They got days when they've got extra chickens, and we...
1: Uh, a free exotic we, chick kind of thing?
2: Well, <laughs> we just buy, like, 100, 200, 300 chickens at a time at a deeply discounted rate, because they've got to get rid of them, because, you know, we've got more hatching out the next week, so... Definitely a pecking order, right?
1: Uh, you know, I I noticed that. It, and you can't disturb it. My, my they got to work it out. My comes over and says, no, this was being mean. I said, you can't get in the middle of that one because they know who's in charge and who's not. Right. The second you leave, they're going to reestablish it. So. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we have turkeys and chickens and ducks. Uh, snowmen. And snowmen. <laughs> and puppies and kitties, I've discovered. So what else do you have here?
2: Well, we have come up here. I, I don't know, you probably might be able to pick up the turkeys that we have here. You hear them right now? Uh, I have Beautiful. some, there's two royal palm toms right here, and then I've got a, a cross uh, in the back. The rest of my royal palms actually got to go visit and spend the summer at the Deanna Rose Children's Farm in Overland Park. They're coming back here pretty soon so my boys won't be lonely.
1: So you raise turkeys and chickens, I've noticed, in the same place. Do you have any problems with blackhead or anything else like that that people talk about?
2: You know, I I have not with uh, this particular group. I don't raise a huge amount of turkeys, but I think the whatever, uh, you know, the, the, the organisms in the soil here, maybe are not here with relation to that, or perhaps my... My flocks have gotten um, resistance to it, and that's that's kind of an important thing. We talk about that is I really work towards breeding towards resistance in my my livestock because I don't feel we can depend on uh, pharmaceuticals to fix everything. We really need to breed some of these animals towards resistance, which these original heritage breeds had resistance. You know, they you think about colonists and you know the settlers, they didn't have a, a vet that they could call and go get something. They you know they lost animals and the ones that lived were resistant
1: Oh uh, yeah over time that just seems like a smart thing i mean I, I, I to me it just it seems like the most intelligently lazy thing to do you want an animal that doesn't take more work
2: mm-hmm. right? right that's they, what i want yeah yes
0: yeah
1: to me that just seems smart <laughs> yes but and and yet this is not going to produce at the rate that another animal is
2: well and particularly these <laughs> royal palms don't they're they weren't bred as I know it, they weren't bred for a meat bird they were you know bred for their pattern and and so on and that's one of the reasons I picked them because again in sustainability part of that sustainability is for me to be able to make money is to to live here Yeah. so I chose them because it's a very popular bird with yes. the the homesteaders and the small ranchettes and so on and They'll pay me handsomely for, you know, properly marked birds like those over there.
1: So the accounting person in me always has to go down to the bottom line. And I always look at heritage breeds and think, okay, less production, less resource Mm -hmm. dependent. If if I am making a 20% profit margin... Mm does it really matter? I mean, 20% right. is 20%. Exactly. So if I'm looking to feed the world, it's one thing and that's right. fine. And you understand Absolutely. why that's necessary, but you also need that many more resources. I've so. only got
2: 70 acres here. So I had to, as, as I, you know, and I give talks on this, uh, here regionally, you know, you got to look at the culture around you, you know, about your buyers and so on. You need to look at the, the climate, And environmental effects uh, in in your area, what's available on the land that you're looking at buying or that you own, and uh, then you know fit that into the livestock that you want to grow. You you know on 70 acres here, I really would be unrealistic if I said, well, I want to get into raising you know uh, registered Angus uh, beef cattle. 70 acres is not enough unless I'm putting a feedlot in. So I have gone towards animals that fit here, fit my climate and fit my culture of market around me.
1: Okay, so now you just mentioned something that was one of the things that really caught my Mm -hmm. attention when we spoke before. You have found your market and that you said that you have buyers that are not necessarily the normal demographic one might expect. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you found that market and how what you grow fits that beautifully.
2: Well, so, you know, again, I don't want to fight against the, the flow. I can't compete, like with my pork, I can't compete with Sam's Club and the local Hy-Vee and, you know, Safeways and so on in the world that they're selling 99 cent a pound pork on sale and $1.99 was not on sale. I, that's not me. Um, that's CAFO, you know, uh, concentrated feeding operation. Um, I've got something different. I've got to make more money because my inputs are higher. So taking a look around me at what market there is, there are people in my community they are willing to pay for an animal that's not raised in that manner. Um, and then taking a further look in the community, um, there are a lot of immigrants. Yeah. You know, America is a melting pot, always has been and still is today. And, and I found that there's a, a Latino crowd and an Asian crowd uh, of ethnic folks that live in the region who what they expressly explained to me they don't want to buy a dead chicken at the store. They want to see it alive and healthy and look in its eyes is what one man explained to me. Yes. And uh, so they they're willing to pay a premium for it. You know they they apparently see a higher value to their food than most Americans that were born and raised here.
1: (laughs) Judging from all the fast food, yeah, this probably is the case. So
2: when I when I discovered that market kind of accidentally, um, that. I cultured it and grew it. I speak some Spanish, and, you know, that, that really helps out with the Latino market. And I don't speak any Mandarin or Cantonese, but, again, the, the Asian folks I work with, the whoever's there, the designated translator, and we work out the details, and they buy live ducks from me. They're really happy to get them. They're excited because they, living uh, like in Topeka, were traveling an hour and a half to Kansas City to get stuff that's been grown right here.
1: Interesting.
2: And so they were happy to find me too.
1: Okay, so you also mentioned that there's halal and kosher um, mm-hmm. markets that you've taken advantage of. Yes. What is that?
2: And so those are not so much here. There's A little bit, you know, when you go to the Kansas City area, again, which I mentioned is about 90 miles away. Um, but we work with border buyers generally, and we're sending sheep because we raise the Katahdin hair sheep, uh, which is just for meat. Those go through an order buyer with a trucker or a trucking company back to Pennsylvania. Um, and then they get slaughtered at a, a specific slaughter facility there. And then those animals end up in the little small mom-and-pop uh, meat stores, you know, things like that. You, you visualize if you were in New York or New Jersey and you're going into this little corner market, which are tons of them in the big city, well, where did that small sheep, small goat, whatever come from? it's come from across the country because they kind of get consolidated and go there it's a very specific market they're buying uh 65 to 85 pound lambs not the 150 pounders that americans like to see americans want to see a you know a lamb chop like this mm-hmm. those people don't even want to see a lamb chop they want to buy the whole chopped up animal
1: yes yes so and it's my understanding i that- I think it's a kosher <clears throat> requirements that say that there's certain requirements before the animal is slaughtered that are important. How the animal's raised, and the,
2: sure, sure. Yeah. And so we don't, think uh, our rams, we don't castrate, we don't dock tails, and because they're Katahdens, they're hair sheep and they shed their wool, so we don't have the issues of fly strike or you know getting infection or uh, just kind of a mess in their wool. Um, so it, it again, fits my environment, yeah. fits my agriculture right my my cultural practices on the farm and fits their needs there so it goes hand in hand
1: this is this is such an interesting thing because you don't associate kansas with a worldwide demographic necessarily or i haven't in the past right because it's such a well i mean it's almost the geographical center of north america correct right yes Uh, an hour from here i think yes that you just don't associate that with a with a um an open demographic. And yet it seems to be the case. And that, and that kind of does make sense because we've had waves of immigration over time. I know I'm German and boy, you know, Polish sausage and German cooking in Detroit area was, I mean, that was something that came with a wave of immigration. So this is another way for American farmers to be able to open their horizons as to things that they might, might grow. I know goats, we never used to eat goats much in this country. Right. And that's another thing that's come back in. And sheep, I don't think we ate quite as much as the the Brits or...
2: You know, I'd, I'd say World War Two contributed heavily to the decline in consumption of sheep in my, my study, historically. Um, apparently, there was a lot of mutton was fed to soldiers and troops and it, you know, is not a great thing at that time. The flavor, you know, the old ewes and so on. So...
1: I will tell you, I had a... Six or seven-year-old lamb chop with sure. Uzi McGuire in uh-huh. uh, in Colorado, uh-huh. and she didn't tell us until after we ate it. It was delicious. But what breed Tender was and, it? It was Welsh Black Mountain. Okay, Black Welsh Mountain. And Black so Welsh Mountain,
2: again, what I've learned in, in you know because I'm a little bit of a, a foodie, uh-huh. uh, what I've learned of the different breeds of sheep, some of them lend themselves to still being very palatable at an older age. We, yeah. I I don't eat. The lambs here because the value of them is too high. If I can get two or three dollars a pound live weight on the hoof, I sell them. Well, then, you know, we'll slaughter a uh, cull ewe. That's, you know, uh, if you know what that is, it's a, a ewe that maybe for one reason or another we're taking her out of production because she couldn't yeah. produce milk or she's injured. We'll go ahead and slaughter her here to eat. And yeah, we've had them as old as 10 years old. In fact, I went to a Thanksgiving dinner one year with you know, some of my family. One of my cousins is married to a South African national, so he really appreciates it. And I brought a leg from a, a young animal and a leg from that ten year old ewe. Now I knew the difference, like kind a of tell, but no one there knew. In fact, the my family didn't even know that it was sheep. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. I think that we are very limited in our cooking and yes. food taste, yes. but it's getting we're broadening our horizons. It's a really great thing. Absolutely. Well, yeah.
2: YouTube and the internet have yeah. you know contributed to that yeah. greatly. It's, yeah. You know, yeah, social diversity media. Diversity is
1: a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about we now. Oh, and now we have a couple more chickies and some more chickens. Yeah. Well, here. I'm
2: going I'm to let these chickens out here. We'll. You'll get to see a whole bunch of them come out at once.
1: After visiting the poultry, Matt took us to see the Hereford pigs, which look like big rocks in the middle of the field at this point. You ever get nervous to go in there, or are they pretty tame?
3: Well, I was kind of laughing myself, thinking about a image from uh, Wild Kingdom. You were watching that when we were kids?
2: <laughs> well, okay. And so it is a reality. So the big guy's coming this way. Um, you know, he he outweighs me by at least double. Hey, don't do that.
1: And they do have teeth too, yes, right? Yes, they
2: do. Um, so the I stick. got my little little stick here and just kind of poke them a little bit with the points, and they they know I'm here. Kind of like what they might do to each other, you know, let them know they're there. But but this girl here is pretty tame, and most of the other ones are.
1: But they um, want the corn more than you, I'm assuming.
2: Yeah, the pigs lead anything. <laughs> But uh,
1: that's what we've been learning.
2: Yes. That being said, you know, I try to raise them to be tame, but you can't trust them ever. You can't turn your back on them ever. You have to always recognize it's a wild animal, you know, an animal that potentially can be wild or dangerous. Um, And so I try to train them, you know, using my tone of voice. Um, You know, it's like when I'm I'm talking to, to Cindy here, you know, she she kind of knows my tone, and when I approach her when she's got piglets, I, I approach her vocalizing so she hears my tone. But uh, hopefully, I won't have to use the loud tone when I'm out here because they know that tone too, and that's again, they're trained. That vocalization is means, hey, get back. I'm I'm aggressive too because yeah. they they communicate in a, in a wide variety of, of sounds. But
1: as we were noticing over there,
2: yes, yes, and I and I don't if. If a particular boar or sow is is aggressive, you know, I, I'd get rid of them as soon as I can, because I, I can't risk injury. But, and again, um, <clears throat> I'm out here by myself a lot, and I I don't ever go in there without being armed, because yeah. if they get me down, yeah, I've got to be able to get out of there.
3: Yeah.
1: Matt took us down a hill and back up the other side to see his sheep in the gorgeous field. And uh, he called them for us. I almost fell in the mud. It was quite an adventure, which would have been entertaining. But Matt called the sheep, and you can hear them running up the hill to come and eat corn. Come on, sheep.
3: Come on, girls. Come on, girls. Ba! Come on girls. Ba! Come on girls, come on in. Ba! Ba! Come on. Everybody come in. Come on girls. Ba! Come on. Ba! Ba! Come on. Come on, sheep. Ba! Come on, sheep. Come on, girls. Ba! Come on in. Come on, girls. Come on, girls. We're coming in. Let's go. Ba! Come on. Come on, girls. Come on, we're coming in. Come on in, girls. Uh, (coughs) uh, Heimdall, Heimdall. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Matthew, careful. Why don't you get out of there, buddy? Put that down. Come on, get out of the mud. I don't want you to fall and get hurt. Come on, girls. Come on. Yeah, you want it, don't you? Come on. Come on, girls. Matthew, come on up here, buddy. Quit playing in the mud, let's go.
1: Oh, he's helping me. Cause I almost went tush in the mud here, so he's get, he's getting more Come on, path. girls.
3: Ba, ba. Matthew Forrest. Here. Come on, I want you to walk up here with me. Okay.
1: Okay. I already went in. He was putting rocks in for me, so I oh, wouldn't go so far. This is gonna be out this is that's I'm going in. <laughs> okay.
3: There, you okay. You need to.
2: No, I, I wouldn't do that. To you.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> okay. I already went in, didn't I? Thank you. On, shit. <laughs> Thank bah. you. Come on girls. Come on girls. Get it. Yeah. I'm moving. I'm going.
3: Matthew, wait for Daddy. Matthew.
1: Oh, you go with him. So you walk up with him.
3: <laughs>
1: and thank you again on, to little Matthew for saving me from a on, backside shape. full of mud. Bah. He uh, helped me cross the Come little on, stream girls. there. <laughs> so I gotta ask: Am I hearing the crunch of corn?
2: Yes. Wow. Can you take that in? So I don't. As a general rule, I don't feed my sheep any grain, uh-huh. but we're entering into the time of year for me when I'm flushing my ewes. So what I'll do is I'll be giving them a little bit extra protein in the form of some grain and maybe some alfalfa pellets um, leading up to when we're going to breed them. That way it gets their, their body on a cycle of uh, having more nutrients. Potentially they will drop... Two eggs or more in their next cycle.
1: Do they? Okay, so now these are the Katadens. Uh,
2: these are Katadens.
1: Okay. Well, do they? And these are
2: all, all purebred Katadens in this group. There's they come in different colors. Um, some of the colors are a throwback to you know some of the original uh, crosses.
1: Now 1970s, I want to say, is that when this started here? Three three or four different uh, specific varieties, right?
2: Um, At least the the Katahdons go go back to. Uh, uh, the turn of the last century, um, back to Maine.
1: Okay. I'd heard they were from Maine, but I heard it was an interesting mix of a couple of different kinds of hair sheep. And then they, yes. they, they kind of experimented with Dorsets a little bit and a little couple of other things in there, but they, but they, they dropped those. They wanted a little more meat on them at one point. Right. And then they dropped that. You know, I think.
2: I, I'm not entirely sure what Mr. <laughs> Peel's in, uh, End goal was uh-huh. with the Katahdens. I know the the Katahdin Hair Sheep International uh, website has some information there. I believe there's a publication on it as well. Um, so again, I, I I really couldn't tell you for sure what Mr. Mr. Peel, the original breeder, what his intents were. But um,
1: but I think that and multiple babies are one of the things that's common with yes. them too. Is that correct? Yes.
2: They're they're easy care sheep as far as their Good mothers, good mother instincts, raise their babies. Uh, you know, less likelihood of them abandoning their babies. Um, we talked about the parasite resistance. They're you know really adaptable for parasite resistance. Um, <clears throat> of course, you don't have to shear them. As you can see right now, their their uh, hair is very thin. It'll start to fill in. There's one over here. If you can see, can you see this one right here? She's still got some remnants. Of her wool, yeah.
1: So, is that the norm, or is that? Um, an we've had exception? we've had
2: kind of a funny year. See that one? She's got some remnants on her too. I don't know. I was gonna try to grab some off it. It pulls off, and we've had we've actually had the driest twelve months since the nineteen thirties here in this zone right here. And uh, what I've noticed is rain early on tends to help it come out, and we didn't have a lot of that. But anyway, so that that hair sheds out, and. They'll be growing in more wool like this one right here you can see she's starting to bring in another layer there
1: but for the most part this is the amount of of uh, hair that they that they have
2: they get pretty fluffy see like this this girl here uh-huh. she's growing in growing in her winter coat okay she's getting pretty fluffy though they don't they don't have curly wool like you'd think of with the the wool sheep like they got one right behind you She's got, and she's a particularly old one. That's why she's kind of bony, but she's got kind of curly wool, yes. and that's that's kind of a uh, different. That's not that's, that's really not the norm. Interesting, yeah.
1: isn't it? So, so parasite resistance, multiple babies, put mm-hmm. put on weight well. How mm-hmm. do they forage? Are they pretty good? They're, at they're great at foraging. Do yeah, they eat, do they eat things other than forbs and grass? Are they twig twig eaters too? Yeah.
2: Well, let's just see if I can see a tree around here. But <laughs> like these trees, I've trimmed up, but. Any of the deciduous trees and bushes and stuff like that, if they like the taste of it, they'll strip it down.
3: Interesting.
2: And and the Katahdins, I don't know if that's sheep in general, but my my flock, they'll go out, you know, we turn them loose into a new paddock, and there'll be one particular plant they decide they like to eat, and they'll eat all of it. And then the next day it'll be something different, and the next day, like, we had bindweed grown on some fences uh, some years back, and they left alone, left alone, and I don't know if the... Plant changed a little bit. The temperature changed. Whatever. This one day they decided they wanted to eat it. Stripped it all off in a day. It was all gone. And and I know some plants go through different stages where they where they want to eat them. Like the uh, the thistles that grows an noxious weed around here. There's a point in the spring when they must get particularly juicy, and the sheep will eat the the vein underneath the leaves where the thorns aren't, and they'll chew them right up. Yeah.
1: If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please tell your friends to join us.
0: We want to thank Matt DeVader and his son Matthew of Rocky Top Ranch for having us out today. For more information about Matt and his Katahdin sheep, Hereford pigs, and other animals on his ranch, please visit his Facebook page at Facebook.com Rocky Top Ranch KS. Or his website at rockytopranch.net Also, please visit the Katahdin Sheep Association at katahdins.org You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels We'd also like to thank our producer, Michelle Council I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor Until next time This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2019.